Church, good morning. This morning I want to talk to you about sharing the good news, the gospel. This is the very best news known to man. You hear this news every Sunday morning. You basically have it at your fingertips 24-7. You carry it in your hearts every single day. You can read about it whenever you choose. The sharing of this good news, the very best news ever, the truth about Jesus Christ is called evangelism. Evangelism means preaching, announcing, communicating the gospel, our salvation. It is delivering the message that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but also gave his life in exchange for our sins. In doing so, he ensured eternal life in heaven for anyone who repents of their sins and believes. In John 14:6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How many families has that verse right there probably split up? Accepting that good news and telling others about it is the definition of evangelism. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are rooted in evangelism. Jesus had a message, one that he came to the earth to deliver, and we are tasked to spread that message both by Jesus and every apostle under no uncertain terms. Imagine if those first 11 apostles stayed in the upper room and worshipped and praised Jesus all day long and never went out to evangelize. That's ridiculous. The gospel would have ended right there. Jesus was clear in his directives. We are to love God, love others, repent of our sins, believe him, spread the gospel, the good news throughout the land. God's plan for salvation was never meant to be a secret. Jesus said in his final words on the cross, it is finished, referring to the payment of our debt. His death canceled out, finished, our sin debt. We were redeemed. With all this being said, the disappointing news is that evangelism is very low on the priority list. There are many reasons we probably all could list, but I'll just list a few that came to my mind. We lead very busy lives. We, you know, uh, make time for uh, going out with, uh, with our neighbors, with our friends to dinner. Our children have all kinds of school events. Um, and, uh, you know, we, there's lots of ways. We go into the grocery stores. I mean, there are lots of ways that uh, we fill up our lives with and keep busy. Ironically, as I was thinking about all of that, a lot of those ways that we keep ourselves busy are ways of spreading the gospel. Well, then why don't we? Let me give you a couple other reasons. Maybe the fear of rejection. We're friends with people, and we're just worried that if we give them our belief system and start spreading the good news about Jesus Christ, that they may say, Things like, wow, what cult is that? 
uh, we don't believe the same way, and it might damage uh, your relationship with them. And so we have the fear of being rejected. And possibly the third way, the only, the third way I could think of is that maybe we're actually not confident enough to uh, stand up and give people the good news. We're not quite sure how to do it. Um, it is easier to come to church and worship God. Man loves to talk to God, but not to man about God. Studies show that only 2% of Christians share their faith with others on a regular basis. 80 to 90% that are making decisions for Christ fall away. 294,000 decisions for Christ at a large crusade several years ago were counted. And in follow-up, only 14,000 were accounted for. Why is this? Do people actually have no fear of being eternally tormented? As Christians, eternity in hell should terrify us for our loved ones, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our co-workers. Jesus gave an account in Luke 16. This is very interesting because I'm sure many of us have read this account, this story, this parable. It's a little different because Jesus actually puts a name to one of the people in this account. He normally doesn't name anyone in his parables. But there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and in fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So this Lazarus was laid at the gate. Obviously, he was crippled. Somebody probably just got tired of taking care of him or they, got, they ran out of money in order to be able to take care of him. So they just laid him there thinking that the rich man would at least see him coming out of his gate every day because... You know, people normally leave their house at least once a day. But obviously this rich man had no compassion, not a good fruit for anyone that's going to be going on their way to heaven. Now the poor man died and was carried away to Abraham's bosom, which represents heaven. And the rich man obviously died somewhere in the same time frame. And he was buried and he went to hell. And he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Church, the reason I'm even mentioning this is because there's so many ideas about whether hell even exists. This is a story that Jesus told, a parable that he told. And as you read on into this parable and this story, you find out that Hell is forever. Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you reached your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. No one from hell can come here and no one from here is going where you're at. 
A lot of times I think we just look at verses that talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth and we don't take it seriously enough. But here's a story that Jesus told. So I wanted you to be aware of that and think about that. Hell, a lot of people say, their explanation is hell is on earth. Oh, I'm going through a lot of hell now. Or my God loves way too much to send anyone to hell. Probably your God, that's true, because your God doesn't even exist. And even if there is a place of temporary torment, some belief systems believe, you can be prayed out of it or paid out of it. It's not true, for church. We need to reach the lost like never before. Here are some of the directives that Jesus has given to us. I don't know if some of these are going to be on the screen. Yeah, they are. In Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. These are directives that Jesus has given us. In Mark 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All directives from Jesus for us. If we love people, we must put legs to the gospel. Mark 1, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, one of the principles of fishing is that you go to the fish. You do not want to just wait for them to come to you. Now, as I mentioned, 80 to 90% making decisions are falling away. Clearly the methods of the gospel being preached are not working. As Christians, we need to cultivate a compassion for the lost. And yet most believers today are not horrified at the thought that lost people all around them are perishing. As Christians, we need to cultivate that compassion. The fuel that drives us to share the gospel should be our gratitude to God for the cross and for our salvation. There are no guarantees for tomorrow. 160,000 people worldwide are perishing every day. 6,800 per hour, 1.9 per second. We need to share our faith effectively, effectively and evangelize the way Jesus did. 
in Mark 10, verse 17. This is interesting, the way Jesus evangelized. Try and listen to this, and then we'll, we'll talk about it in a little. Try and concentrate on how he does this. As he was sitting out, setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, and we've heard this many times, and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So he's going to take them through the law. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt the love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus took him through the law and exposed his sin. He was putting his possessions over serving God. Jesus was not making poverty a requirement for salvation, but exposing the young man's heart. He loved his money and his possessions more than his neighbor. More importantly, he refused to obey Christ's direct command, choosing to serve riches rather than God. So as, we would not, so as he would not acknowledge his sin and repent, such unwillingness kept him from eternal life that he sought, treasure in heaven. It's a very interesting scripture as I back up and was thinking about it because most of us would think that that is a, an incredible moment for just somebody to run up to us and say, Joey, how do I need to enter the kingdom of heaven? How do I get there? Solomon, tell me, how do I do it? You would probably just lead them through a sinner's prayer and say, now go to church, open your Bible, a lot of people would do that. But Jesus took him through the law and exposed his sin and wanted him to repent before turning him into a convert or asking him to accept Christ. If Jesus would have done right away, just let him through a prayer, it would have just made another false convert. Are you following me on that? anyone know where I was? <laughs> um, okay, I got it. James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law, and here it is, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. 
So we see Jesus evangelized through the law. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Under the law here means every unredeemed person. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. And verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law clearly exposes our sin and need for a savior. Jesus knows it's impossible. We all know that when the commandments were put out there, it's impossible to keep those commandments. But the law serves as a mirror for us to look into that exposes our sin and our need for a savior. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? This is Paul speaking. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And in Galatians 3, 4, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law leaves us helpless and guilty. We are not saved by the law, only by God's grace through faith. So if people are not aware of their sin, they'll not be converted. This leads us back to a question that needs to be answered. Um, the question that needs to be answered. Is it possible that the false gospel or many false gospels are out there and being taught, making all these false converts? Well, let me just talk about a few. I'll just throw a few ideas out there. Have you ever heard or seen somebody say that you're so valuable to God, he sent his son to die on the cross for you? Quite the opposite is true, right? If you need a financial breakthrough, trust in Christ. Wow, church, I'm honestly, uh, part of my past is part of that. I've been guilty of some of this. Your life will be filled with peace and joy like never before. Just pray this prayer. You can have lasting happiness and fulfillment in life. You can have it just by believing in God. Now you are saved. Love, joy, peace, prosperity. This all creates false converts. No mention of trials, tribulation, persecution, or repentance of sin. Oh, boy. So, I mean... Are churches just interested in growing their church by preaching all of those other gospels of prosperity and love and joy and peace 
without putting repentance in there? The following verses are verses that prove that we will be going through trials and tribulation and persecution. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace, Jesus says, but not in the world. In me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. James 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Think about this. Would a doctor, or what doctor, would give a cure to a person that is not convinced of their disease? Or better yet, what patient would accept a cure if they were not aware of their disease? The disease is sin, and the cure is the gospel. False converts are being created because people are accepting the medicine without knowing the disease. We must help people understand the consequences of sin. God is so just. He punishes liars, thieves, murderers, and idolaters. Now we may say, oh, I'm not a murderer. No, the Bible says, the New Testament says, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the narrow and wide gates. The narrow gate has a sign in front of it reading, Repent, be converted, eternal life, bumps ahead. Trials, tribulation, persecution. Jesus said that there are few who find it. The wide gate has a different sign. It reads, power, prosperity, lasting happiness, love, joy, peace, eternal life. And Jesus says, broad is this gate that leads to destruction. And there are many who will enter through it. Church, what's missing from the wide gate is the acknowledgement and repentance from their sin. Of course, many will take that wide gate the way that that's presented. 
When we present the gospel, we need to help people realize the sin that they have and their need for a Savior. The law clearly helps us to do this. When a marriage is in need of a healing, you can't simply say to the couple, well, you need Jesus. No. They may accept Jesus. They may pray a prayer. They might start reading their Bible. But if there's sin, if the pornography or the gambling or the alcoholism that's involved with that marriage, if that sin isn't repented for and removed from the marriage, that marriage will never heal. As a matter of fact, it'll get worse. Because once they do accept Christ and try to go down that road, with this unrepented sin, it's only going to get worse. And furthermore, they're going to be bitter at whoever presented the gospel to them. And they're going to probably be bitter against Jesus because he didn't heal their marriage. And that holds true in any unrepented sin. It holds true for any major sin that's in our lives. I've had several opportunities at my workplace, and uh, I actually have a couple of gentlemen that um, I've been um, going through the law with them and trying to um, get them to see that their need for a Savior. And I finally came up to them last week, and the one gentleman I asked him, I said, uh, let me ask you something. I said, would you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? And he looked at me and he said, no, no chance. I said, well, would you sell both of your eyes for $10 million? And he looked at me and said, no, there's not, no way. And I said, so if you put that kind of value on your eyes, how much more value should you put on your soul that's going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell? He said, you know, Dave, I want to tell you something. He said, I never looked at it that way. He said, you're making some headway with me. And I thank God for that, right? I'm getting close to close, church. To quote a line from a movie, Amazing Grace, John Newton said this, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. We need to convey that message to the lost. Preparing this message, I, wa I want to, uh, it's not going to quite end this week. It's going to carry over to next week. But I wanted to come up with um, a very short version of the gospel, which you guys could carry in your hearts or at least remember, have an idea, so that if somebody were to approach you and ask you what you believe in and what your gospel is, um, that you would be, feel confident in answering. So right now, I want to just imagine that 
no one in, uh, in the listening audience here or online uh, needs Christ. Or actually, I want to imagine that you all do need Christ as I read this, as I'm going to read the, the few lines that I've prepared here. The Father, in his love for us, to save us from eternal damnation, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. His righteousness was transferred to us, and our sin was imputed unto him. If we believe this and repent for our sins and seek Jesus with all of our hearts, salvation is offered as a free gift. That was it. I'm going to work on that. But if we could just carry that with us, be prepared to give the people the gospel in short and see if you can begin a conversation with them. Next week, what I'm going to do is give you between 5 and 10 of the, five and 10 of the biggest, uh, most popular questions that people would ask you about the gospel, about the spreading of the gospel. For example, what about the people that have never heard of the, about the gospel in the hills, in the valleys? What would you say about that? So I'm going to present between five and ten of the toughest questions that you may face as you're out evangelizing and give you some answers to help you through it. And I'm going to also, um, I'm not sure if Pastor's going to uh, help me with this, um, but we're going to also uh, give you a realistic way of going up to people and opening up conversations with them to try and lead them through the law and some answers that you can expect and what to stay away from, how to deal with more of their minds instead of their conscience. Because the mind is the place of, of argument. You want to stay away from there. You'll be going down too many rabbit holes trying to, to get out of those conversations. I'm going to help you with that. But uh, with that, church, I just want to close. Amen. Thank you, Lord.